The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for mature audience. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guest and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a Crown Vic. Oh, hey there. Welcome to the Very Poorly Made Police Podcast. I'm your host, Lloyd. I hope this podcast finds you well. This episode, we're going to say a little blast from the past. Speak to a officer that started in the 80s and has uh, been retired for a little while now. So we talk about policing in the golden age. He worked in a uh, a rural agency, and it was it's kind of surprising. Well, you know what? I don't want to give too much away, but I think you guys will enjoy it. It was uh, kind of eye-opening. But before we get into the podcast, of course, we got to give big thanks to our friends over at OfficerPrivacy.com. Without them, we couldn't make these Sunday podcasts happen. I can't speak for everyone, but I know most of us on social media don't use our real names. Why do we do that? To protect ourselves. We don't want people stumbling across our personal information. Officer Privacy takes that a step further. Your information, unknowing to you, if you don't listen to this podcast, is all over the worldwide interwebs. Specifically, the concern is these people search sites. These people search sites are easy to use, and your information is right there for the taking. If you don't use officer privacy, Google your name and the city you live in, and all these sites are going to come up with your information. It's terrifying. What Officer Privacy does is they remove you from the people search sites. There's two ways you can do that. Either a do-it-yourself option where they give you the tools so you can take care of it. Easy step-by-step guide. Or you pay for the premium service like I do, and they remove everything for you, and they continue to monitor those things. I know what was a problem for me is I had taken my name off of one of these sites a long time ago, and within a week or two, it was right back on there. Like, I'd never taken it off, so it's it's kind of a hassle. For a variety of reasons, your information will continue to pop up on these websites. So if you value your privacy, like I do, officerprivacy.com. And just a side note, if you're a part of an organization that does fundraisers for LEO events, contact Officer Privacy, and they are more than happy to provide a six-month privacy package donation for a raffle or a silent auction. So... Cut over to officerprivacy.com and contact them, and they will help you out with that. All right. Well, without any further ado, we'll get to my good buddy. I don't think we've played any Seth Mills for a while, so let's play a little Seth Mills, and we'll be right back. Rolling fast. 
burning up this room I can hear those 33s humming down below Remember back, roll the radio down for me When we were Jack and Diane in this modern world My hands between your knees Joining us all the way from, I don't know where he is but he has a fantastic voice for radio, and I cannot wait for you guys to meet him. I have my friend Joe. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm actually in L.A. right now, but uh, I live in Ohio. Visiting I... the grandkids right now, and and uh, my son Randy and his beautiful wife, Beth, and uh, Penny and Felix are actually at preschool right now, so I've got some quiet time. Oh, good. Yeah, you mentioned when we started that you were going to have some grandkids around and I know I purposely try to go around my kids' schedule. So you don't hear them screaming and exactly beating exactly. each other during they, the podcast. They've been pretty boisterous the last couple of days. I don't know if it's because I'm here or what. Yeah, Are you guys uh, going to do the Disney thing? Uh, no, no, we're not going to do that. No, we actually uh, try and keep it simple and go to local parks. And we actually went out to a Mexican restaurant for lunch yesterday, had a great time. Probably would have stayed longer, but they were getting a little antsy. You know, they, they're two and a half and, and four. So, yeah, I know that. I know all that all too well. We're recording during the day time. So, I, I just assume uh, early in the morning in LA, you're not having anything to drink. Uh, Metamucil. There we go. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> hey, I, I'm an OG. You know, got to do what you got to do to keep things going. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best answer that I've ever gotten. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want every if if reality, you don't know, man. Google it. Google it. You'll if you That's you right. don't know what Metamucil is, go ahead and Google it. <laughs> well, it's since a, we're not, yeah. no, go ahead. Sorry, man. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just say it's uh, uh, if you're not if you're, been, if you're an old guy, you haven't been turned on to it. You might want to look into it. It uh, makes life much more comfortable. That could be the name of the podcast. So far, that's early front runner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> here's what i should ask though what is what is the drink of choice for joe if you're back home in ohio coffee man i'm a coffee guy black coffee or do morning, you have coffee. any cream or anything like that uh usually the first cup i put about half a teaspoon of sugar and then uh after that it's straight black that's the way to go i don't know i either want everything in it or nothing in it there's no in between yeah. every now and again i'll get one of those fancy you know, uh, coffees, but not too often. But this got a lot of, you know, cream and sugar and who knows what else. I actually love going to a Starbucks and say, I'd like a coffee, please, a medium. And they just freak out. Yeah. What kind of coffee? And uh, why, why can't we just say small, medium or large? Why do we have to have I the know. fancy it's names? A, it's a Starbucks. It's a very commercial establishment it's not some little place on the corner there's literally one everywhere the simpsons were making fun of it 25 years ago about it being everywhere let's just cut yeah. with the crap with the sizes that's right that's right it's a gimmick well let's let's cut down to brass tacks here sure i don't want to make any assumptions but mm -hmm. i i feel like you're probably the oldest person because we yeah, are we're talking about metamucil on the podcast what year did you start in law enforcement? 80, well, actually, uh, that's a very interesting question. I I like to say I have almost 31 years on the job, but in truth, I have almost 27 with the sheriff's office I worked for, and then I was able to buy four years of my military time. 
where I was an Air Force security policeman. So totally different job, uh, but I consider it still part of police work. Um, and so I've got almost 31 years in the system, and that's been 14 years now. On Halloween, it was 14 years that I've been retired. I'm 67, but Ooh. feeling good. You know what? I you and my I feel like I'm talking to my dad because I feel like you guys <laughs> kind of had like kind of a similar background as far as you know being in the military and then getting into law enforcement. What why law enforcement? What drove you into law enforcement? Oh, excellent question. And easy answer. Uh role models. Growing up, I uh was very fortunate to have uh, some pretty positive role models or guys that were cops. And I remember first time uh there was a guy, and I'm going to say his name, uh, Del Dubrava. He, he became a close friend of mine. Uh, he, he passed away a number of years ago. But when I was a little kid, he was a, one of the local cops. And we'd be out tossing a football around. And and this was before people touted anything like community policing. He'd just stop, get out of his car, toss the football around. Because he just liked to, you know, goof off. <laughs> and so... But years later, my uh, my dog Skippy got run over by a car, and he was not terribly injured. But um, you know, it was the middle of the day. Dad's at work. We just had the one car. Uh, Mom called. Didn't know what else to do. Called the police department. So Dell shows up. He's going to take me and Skippy to the vet. I'm about eleven years old, I think. And uh, so I get in the back of the cruiser with my injured dog, and we're heading off to the vet. And he gets a bar fight call on the way. So I got to, you know, take a little detour and and see some old school policing. <laughs> so I just, uh, but you know, that was just one of them. Uh, but you know, I, I like I said, I was pretty fortunate growing up, and um, and so I, I think what really sealed it was I'd gotten out of high school and I was still living at home first year, and I bought a brand new Ford F one hundred pickup truck because. Uh, my cousin's boyfriend was a Ford salesman and, uh, this was a 74 Ford F 100 cost me 2,800 bucks out the door. Brand new. Oh, that pains my soul. I, it I just, know. the, the cost, I mean, I, I know the cost of living. I know. It's amazing yeah. to hear that. Right. I was I'd making love like to go two, buy a new car. Yeah. Well, I was, you know, it, all things being equal, I was making two ten an hour. At, at That's fair. Yeah. Uh, but I had, uh, aftermarket eight track deck in there and my CB radio. And I had a Garcia Mitchell, uh, spinning reel in the rifle rack, you know, and one night somebody broke in and stole all this stuff from me and I was livid. And I said, that's it. <laughs> I'm going to go fight crime. So I ended up going in the air force, you know, and, uh, Never regretted that. Got a lot of experience. Met a lot of great people. Uh, never intended to make a career of it. Um, but, you know, I got some experience. Got out in 81, and then I uh, applied at uh, the local sheriff's office. They were hiring. I think there were like 280 applicants for two positions, which, you know, today that seems crazy. Yeah. Um but it was a period of time where uh, there was a new sheriff in town, 
the old one had been indicted on like 110 counts of theft in office. And this guy got elected uh, on a promise of cleaning things up. And he did. He really did. Uh, but he also implemented competitive hiring practices, which had never been attempted in the county that I worked for before. It was a good old boy network, you know. And uh, so I got hired, uh, myself and another guy. Actually, there were three of us. One guy lasted about a week. Just, I don't know, wasn't for him. And, uh, but, you know, we, we were severely understaffed for quite a few years and underpaid. And, you know, a typical story of a predominantly rural sheriff's office, really, across the country. We were no different. But we had a, a stand-up sheriff, and while I didn't agree with everything uh, he implemented, uh, by and large, he did clean. That was a tough uh, few years to overcome the the stain of the previous sheriff. You know, and we did I, it. Not to jump too far ahead, but I, I'm I'm curious for your from your perspective because you know, like I know my dad's perspective as far as you know the changes of law enforcement. And he worked mm -hmm. the beginning of his career in a little bit different atmosphere, not so so rural, but. Yeah. So you started in the early 80s and then you left, yeah. you know, after 2000. In, in 08, yeah. What what were the biggest changes you saw from in law enforcement from early 80s to I it just I feel like it would just would blow my mind how much different it was when you started till the time it ended. What were some of the oh, big yeah. changes you saw? Communications. Absolutely. You know, we didn't have cell phones. We had, it was kind of funny, uh, if dispatch wanted to put something out, but they didn't want to do it over the air, they'd say, call the office. Well, <laughs> you just, you couldn't pick up your cell phone and call the office. You had to go find a payphone. And <laughs> after a while, you learned where all the payphones were in the county. And they're mostly, they were the drive-up variety. You know, they were sawed off. Uh, it wasn't even a booth. It was just a little shelter over a phone, and you could reach out the driver's door or driver's window, and you dial O, and uh, the operator would pick up, and you say, hey, police officer checking in, and you give them the number, and they put you right through. Uh, and I'm sure they listened. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, and then, you know, so you would dial, you have them dial the non-emergency number, and then, you know, uh, everything was copacetic as far as secrecy went, you know, because it, I'm trying to think, you know, that we used to get yelled at by sergeants and the sheriff for spending too much time in the office. But when I started, we didn't have a detective bureau. And so if you, you just took calls and if they required investigation, you were the guy, if it was terribly complicated, you know, like a burglary ring or something like that, they try their best to, to allow you to work it without having to go to lockouts and domestics and stuff like that. But uh, typically you had to, it was a tough balance. And so, but you'd be in the office cause you had to call people, you know, you just couldn't go to neighboring counties or States. You, you know, you had to call them on the phone and uh, you know, there was really no way you could do it from a payphone. So, so it was a, a balancing act of goofing off at the office or actually doing, work investigating at the office 
And that's the other thing, too. We had a huge turnover. When I started, there were nobody retired from the sheriff's office. You know, it was a, a training ground for uh, PDs closer into town, you know, uh, in some of the bigger counties. Because you did everything. Gained a lot of experience. And we didn't have a detective bureau until about, I think it was the second sheriff I worked for. Because the first sheriff was a, a big... Uh, he was a firm believer in generalized policing, not nothing specialized, and uh, which is well and good when you're trying to gain experience. But you know, if you're trying to do a criminal investigation, whether it be a you know something serious like a uh, serious assault or a, a string of burglaries, you know, you you really don't want to drop what you're doing to, you know, go in a lockout or a neighbor dispute or something like that. And more times than that, we were stacked up with calls anyway, you know, so it was hard to do. It was frustrating, but you know, there's never a boring day. And that's what I think I liked most about police work is no, no two days were ever alike. What was the, I'm curious about that, about what was the Academy like back in the eighties? And I know you can't speak for every state, but in Ohio, you know, did you guys go yeah. to an academy or, or how does oh, that Oh, yeah, work? yeah. Um, actually, you, when you got hired, you couldn't go to an academy on your own. You had to be sponsored back in the day. That's changed, but uh, back in the day, you had to uh, be hired by an agency, whether it be police or sheriff. Uh, and then you went to a... Uh, like a 40-hour get-your-feet-wet type academy. I went to Kent State, and it was uh, just basically firearms and search and seizure. You know, that was basically it. And then you had a year to complete the full academy. And because uh, the sheriff that hired me was a former trooper, uh, he sent the new guys myself included to the state highway patrol academy down in columbus and uh, at the time i think it was 10 weeks it's a lot longer now but uh taught mostly by troopers but in areas that they did not have expertise they would bring in instructors from police departments and sheriff's offices you know like for calls that uh troopers wouldn't handle typically like domestics and things like that um you know it was uh you know, so good on them, they would uh, recognize that there were areas that they weren't necessarily expert in and would bring in instructors that were. I got to be honest, I, I, I'm a little surprised because I thought, and this is just me being ignorant, I figured like, oh, 80s, they're basically handing you a shotgun and telling you to go to work. <laughs> I was surprised that you went through. Uh, well, I kind of like, I hate the idea that guys are going out and without any training, but I like at least there, they were like, all right, here's 40 hours and then we'll get you through when we can get you through kind of thing. At least there was yeah. something. Yeah. I, uh, you know, when I got out of the Air Force, I, or out of Air Force basic training, which I admittedly is nothing like Paris Island or anything like that. Uh, but it was still a, a royal pain. Uh, I thought, well, at least I never, I'll never have to do that again. <laughs> now I go to the State Highway Patrol Academy and it's a bunch of former Marines that run the thing and and it was a, the big difference we went home on weekends you didn't have to you know but when you went home on the weekends you had a ton of homework too so but yeah it was um 
you know, the other, I, I would hate to have to go to a part-time academy like some of the guys went to, like our local community college has. And now they combined an associate's degree with the, the basic academy. Uh, but it takes forever to go, you know, get certified going to a part-time academy. My youngest we, son did that, though. I got We have four boys, and my youngest son did that. Uh, went to a uh, local community college and uh, did the part-time academy thing. Were you excited that he followed in your footsteps, or were you hesitant? Uh, both. I mean, to be honest, uh, it's changed so much over the years, and, and he, find, he did get out of it. He gave up his commission. And he jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire. He's now uh, a sergeant with a, a security team at uh, one of the bigger high schools um, that he fights every day. It's yeah, it's so he he likes it though. I don't know. He you know it again. I, probably for the same reasons that uh, I liked law enforcement. It's exciting, you know. I mean, there's. Although the older you get, the less it becomes. And it, I've often said that uh, the speed with which you drive to a bar fight uh, directly correlates to the numbers of years you have on the job. Oh, yeah. That is that is a tale as old as time, I believe. I know. The young guys, the young guys will beat the tires off the car trying to get to a bar fight. And the old guys are saying, well, good luck. <laughs> when you started... Were vests were were everybody wearing bulletproof vests, or was that something that kind of grew yeah. in time? No, actually, uh, yeah, I never worked the road without wearing a vest. Um, we actually had a, a, a village in the county where uh, one of the officers uh, arrested a juvenile, and the kid took his gun and shot him several times. And he was the only guy in the county at the time that was wearing a vest. That would have been, I think, 1978, maybe. Uh, he survived because he had a vest. Um, but, yeah, by the time I started uh, at the sheriff's office, uh, it was required you had to. And it was a big secret. Don't let people know you're wearing it. Well, <laughs> everybody knew. They said, well, it'll shoot you in the head if you they think you're wearing a vest. Said, well, that could happen anyway. But, yeah, I... It's weird. You, I don't know if you ever put a uniform on without one, but it feels weird not to have a vest on. It does. It really does. Um, I got to be honest. Like I, I, the other day, I pulled out my old vest just to see if it still fit, which somehow mm -hmm. it did. And it, <laughs> you know, I, I know a lot of people don't like you know the vest and the belt, and it bugs them. And I, and I can't speak for other people. It just, I, I was lucky, I guess. It never. I don't feel like my back ever got hurt from it or anything like that, but putting that vest on, it was almost like, I don't want to say comforting, but it kind of was, you know, it just yeah. it feels right. I guess I get you it. just get so used to it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the wintertime in the Northern climes, it's, it's added insulation for one thing in the summertime. It's a pain. I know one guy had one of those uh, t-shirts you could put in the freezer <laughs> wasn't really practical after the first hour or so, though. What was the relationship back in the 80s with the community in rural Ohio? Were people pro-police, or was it kind of how it is yeah, now? Would, it just kind of depends. No, I would say for the most part, um, 
we get a lot of support from the average person. But, you know, in a county, I think at the time I started, there were about 80,000 residents in the county. And, uh, you know, even if 1% are idiots, you know, that's a lot of people. <laughs> that's, uh, but I think by and large, yeah, I think most people were supportive. You know, it, it, uh, you could walk into a business or a store or something like that. And, you know, people would say hi to you and ask you how you're doing and occasionally buck up for a cup of coffee or something like that. And then during holidays like Christmas and so forth, people would drop off trays of cookies and stuff. And you always had to ask the dispatch who brought it. <laughs> we don't know what's in the cookies necessarily. So we got to know who brought them. I'll, yeah, I'll make some. I was going to say, I make some memes about, you know, eating cookies yeah. and people are like, wait, you I eat saw. the cookies? And I'm like, I don't care, man. <laughs> I, I don't know. care. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I saw uh, those. Those were great. I, I'm just curious because I, I would say your generation of policing, you know, you, the big one you guys had was the Rodney King thing. I'm curious all the way in Ohio, if you guys felt the effects of Rodney King. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. And I'll tell you what you know what the biggest deal was up until that time, everybody that did not live in California looked to California for the latest and greatest in, in training and policies and so on and so forth. Uh, after Rodney King, that kind of, everybody said, well, you know, maybe they don't know as much as we thought they did. It kind of tarnished the, the reputation that law enforcement in California had in general. Uh, and, and I'll give you an example. Um, I'm trying to remember the year, but, you know, they kind of blend together after a while. But it would have been about 1984, thereabouts. Uh, we, at the time, we had a policy and procedure manual, one policy and procedure manual. And we had a series of memos that would follow, you know, if there was a change in a policy or an additional policy, it didn't come out necessarily as a, you know, a codified section. It was uh, here's a memo sign off on it. It's going in the policy book. And the memo was uh, roadblocks are not authorized. That was it. And so I went to the Lieutenant. We had a Lieutenant that was a former uh, New York city cop. And he met a uh, young lady out in, in uh, Ohio and, and fell in love and got married. So he went to work for the sheriff's office. And uh, he was probably the one staff officer I had the most respect for because, you know, he'd come up, you know, through Black New York NYPD. You know, and you couldn't rattle the guy, could not rattle him. And so this policy came out and I said, ALT. But what? And he cut me right off and he said, did you read the policy? I says, yeah, but no buts. Sign off on it. I said, but what? It, he says, stop it. <laughs> Roadblocks are not authorized. Okay, so that's now policy. Within two weeks, it had to have been within two weeks, one of our frequent flyers took his girlfriend and their baby hostage at knife point, no gunpoint, on a cul-de-sac and it dragged on long enough that actually the sheriff and the uh, chief deputy responded as well. And it was on a Saturday morning. 
And so the guy has got the infant child and a rifle, and he's got the rifle to the kid's head, and he gets in a, a vehicle, and he's headed for the major state route. <laughs> so what does the chief deputy do? Makes he, a puts his he makes a roadblock, and he actually the, forced the guy into a ditch, and he grabbed the rifle, and he fought with it. He th you know, the chief threw his back out, but long story short, the kid wasn't hurt. The bad guy went to jail, and uh, if were it not for a roadblock, it could have been a lot worse. So, of course, me being me, I'm off probation by now, you know. <laughs> I don't have to be so careful about what I say. I say, hey, chief, nice job. I wasn't there. This was days later after he nursed his back back to health. And, and he says, shut up. <laughs> no, I think it was a great job. Great roadblock. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, you look for opportunities to get your little point across now and then. So what you're telling me is admin has always been yeah. <laughs> yeah. do as I say, but not as I do. Yeah. 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 We, we had some, uh, I'm, I'm going to be careful how I do this, but, uh, admin staff officers. Oh my gosh. You know, we've had some, we had some really good ones. We had some really bad ones. The thing about the sheriff I was telling you about originally, he was, he had a PhD in criminal justice and he was a professor. Uh, and you know, brilliant guy, uh, just maybe, Put too much emphasis on on post secondary education, um, and he had a number of guys that he brought on in, in what in Ohio we call fiduciary positions, and I don't know how that translates to another state, but uh, a sheriff can hire a number of individuals that don't have to go through competitive hiring practices because they're his staff officers. They serve at the pleasure of the sheriff. They have to be certified through the state, but, you know, but there's no screening process other than, you know, sheriff wants this guy to be a lieutenant or a captain or a chief, you know, chief deputy. So he placed a premium on uh, educational yeah, on, on sheepskins and it was we had a couple of real boneheads you know that were one was a lieutenant the other was a chief deputy for crying out loud and remember the chief he'd come up you know i don't know he'd started law enforcement in like 1957 or something like that and uh you know he got hired because his uncle was the chief in this suburban department and he never really worked the road. He went right into crime prevention. And you see where I'm going with it. So he, but he got a master's degree, you know, in criminal justice. And so the then sheriff hired him and be his chief deputy. And, and basically what he did was he kept the Coke machine full. Uh, <laughs> he, he watered the flowers every morning out around the, the sheriff's office. Um, I <laughs> My first experience, the first time I met the guy, uh, it was a Friday afternoon shift, and it was just myself and another deputy on duty. And Fridays always sucked, uh, primarily because, you know, at, at, as a deputy sheriff, you had to serve the courts. Uh, 
and there are three duties in Ohio that a sheriff has. And one, and this is in order of importance, by the way, serve the courts, maintain the jail, and keep the peace. And of course, keep the peace is pretty broad. But in most counties, that's interpreted to mean that uh, for those unincorporated areas of the county or for those areas that are incorporated, but if they don't have their own police department, then the sheriff's office steps up for you know the law enforcement role. So on Fridays, typically we'd get probate orders from court to compel someone for a mental health evaluation. We, we called it being pink slipped. You know, you'd have to somebody, you know, the, the family would fret all week long because we got to do something with, you know, Bobby or Uncle Ted or something because he's just off the deep end. And Friday, they realize well, we, we can't put up for the weekend. So they would petition the probate judge and he would issue an order. We'd have to go compel someone, uh, take them to, a, you know, a mental health facility. And most times they didn't want to go, but also taking kids. Uh, I remember just one Friday we had to, uh, it was just myself and, and another deputy and, you know, you got to know a lot of the actors throughout the County, just, you know, over the years. And there was a guy, his first name was Sonny and he was a Vietnam vet and he was just a, a piece of work. I mean, it, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with his wartime experience, but he had a big family. And he was just real abusive. And so we had to go take his kids on a Friday afternoon. And he had told uh, people he's going to kill whatever deputy comes to take his kids. He's not giving up his kids. He's going to kill them. And I believed him. So I'm thinking, well, hey, we've got this new chief deputy. Let me brief him. So it's like 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. I walk into his office with the, the other deputy and says, hey, chief, here's what we got. Oh, she said, oh, by the way, my name's Joe. <laughs> he said, oh, pleased to meet you, Joe. And I said, I explained the whole thing. I said, Sonny, man, he, he's, this guy's going to kill us. <laughs> he very methodically picks up his briefcase, puts some mail into it, snaps it shut, walks out the door and says, well, good luck, boys. I <laughs> know <laughs> 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 you chicken shit. So that's what, you know, and another time, I think the sheriff told him that, you know, hey, you can really got to get out on the road and, and, you know, interact with the guys, you know. This is probably several months later. So he's on a midnight shift, and he's with one of the deputies. They get a huge bar fight. And we kind of divided the county into three zones, and the north car was heading down to the south zone to back up everyone on this big bar fight. And the, the chief was riding with uh, Tony, and he's like, hey, uh, well, you know, I my I got a terrible headache. Could you just drop me off at the office on your way past? <laughs> okay, chief, gotcha, no problem. But, uh, oh, we had another one. This is there's oh, they're flooding in my my memory now. I'm on day shift. There's two of us, and we get a call that the uh, there's been a bank robbery. They actually they were in the bank when the bank opened, and uh, waiting for the employees, and they've tied them all up, and they made off with. So we've got this bank robbery in progress, and we go flying out the back door, and there's the chief puttering with his flowers, and I say, "Hey, chief, we got a robbery in progress up." Name the town. I said, oh, good luck, boys. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. So it's it hasn't changed. 
is basically yeah. what I'm getting out of this. I, yeah. I'm curious though, because you mentioned you work with some guys that, you know, you know, like when I started, I had guys, uh, I think in the seventies had, you know, late seventies had start had been cops and they were yeah. at the end of their career. You probably work with guys into the, that started in the fifties and sixties. Oh yeah. Yeah. What yeah, were they the, telling you about law enforcement back then? Uh, well, I mean, they were crackheads. You know, the, the thing of it is, uh, when you work at an agency that's understaffed and I mean, we had like 408 square miles we had to patrol and that's probably not entirely accurate because we had three townships that had their own police departments. We had two villages that had their own police, uh, three villages that had their own police departments, but square miles wide, we still had the bulk of the County. Uh, so you find yourself alone all the time and you, you operate differently. You know, and and <laughs> one of the famous memos that would come out would be uh, sign off on this memo. And the memo would say flashlights are for to see in the dark with. <laughs> uh, I was I told wonder. to uh, bring a mag light to work just in case. And I have one in my bag to this day. Yeah. Well, Allegedly. I mean, that's what, you know, you do what you got to do. You know, if. If it if there's a deadly force, you whack the guy in the head. You could kill him, but maybe that's needed. You know, it's if the guy's just being an idiot. No, but if you're fighting for your life, yeah, you you may want to crack his cranium with a SL streamlight or whatever. There, I said uh, it. <laughs> allegedly, of course. Well, you know. Well, and, you know, it all depends. On, it is, yeah. and not to go on like a tangent and about mm -hmm. you know like they've taken away chokeholds right because mm -hmm. of, of two things that happen i would argue all day long like for instance a carotid i have mm -hmm. my own thoughts on that but if to me i always looked at carotid as a, as potentially deadly force based on you know what you're doing but potentially yeah. if you do the carotid right you could yeah save his life because yeah, if you exactly. can't use it, you're going to have to shoot him. And that like Colorado, right. there's no chokeholds anymore. And yeah. my argument to that is, okay, there may be a, a situation where I could put a guy in a carotid, knock him out, put him in handcuffs and he ends up being totally fine. Or sure. I just have to shoot him. You yeah. know, it's, that's what these fucking people don't think about. I know. I know. I don't know. You get me, um, get me all muted. Yeah. Right. That's the other big change. We didn't have tasers back then. Although we did, they introduced stun guns uh, early in early 80s. They were relatively effective, uh, sometimes downright effective. But, you know, it's a it was a close in. Uh, you actually had to apply and both contacts had to, you know, be in an area, preferably, you know, spine or you know, abdomen and, and then you pull the trigger and keeper, you got a keeper there <laughs> and you wouldn't hear it. You know, if, if you'd made great contact, you wouldn't hear it going off. But if you, if you saw the guy drop like a ton of bricks, then you knew it worked. If it didn't, you know, and you know, there are some people that apparently there's no electrical connection to the brain anyway. And no matter what you do, they're not feeling pain. They're not feeling electricity. They just are, you know, crazy, whether it's drug-induced or, you know, mental illness or whatever. 
I'm not a physician. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to the podcast. I want to talk to you about my buddy Brad Williams over at Police Fit. You guys see him on the page every single Monday on Poorly Made Police Memes. Brad's going to help the new applicants and active officers smash their fitness and regain their health. Brad has 11 years' experience in the fitness industry, 17 years in the military, and is also a first responder. He's going to share his experience and expertise to help applicants get their dream job and help active first responders regain their health. That's Police Fit, and I'll have a link for you on the podcast description. Back to the podcast. Let me ask you this, because you, you'd mentioned this in some of the messages uh, back and forth before we did this podcast. Where you worked, you had kind of a unique population, which was oh, yeah. the Amish. Tell us about yeah. policing the Amish. Um, I wish there were more of them. <laughs> we actually, uh, I looked up a few statistics. I did a little homework, by the way, before I joined you on the you know this I is poorly made, today. right? You don't. I, don't yeah, I know. I know. I, I shouldn't have admitted that. Some interesting uh, stats, though. I mean, we, the Amish population doubles every nineteen to twenty years. They're the fastest growing minority in the country. There's like three hundred and fifty thousand of them, right? At the last census, uh, we had about twenty thousand in our county, um, but Pennsylvania, Ohio, and uh, Indiana is where they're mostly centered, but there's like 34 states where there's Amish settlements, mostly in Midwest, but uh, you know, there are some down south as well, and a couple out west. Well, you got your other rights out in Montana, <laughs> but there are all these Anabaptist type religions where an Amish kid has to actually become an adult and say, yeah, I actually want to be Amish. And then they get baptized. Or they say, no, you know, I really don't want to. Which, if you ask me, is a really great way of doing it. Um, you know, if you allow the kid to decide. And more often than not, they decide to become Amish. I think for a couple obvious reasons. I mean, that's what they're comfortable being. But not all of them do. Um, so Ohio, there's more Amish in Ohio. Then comes Pennsylvania. Then comes Indiana. And then I think Iowa. And Kentucky, Michigan. Um, I know yeah, I, I've run into, good. I don't know if it's always Amish or Mennonite. I don't know exactly how to tell the difference sometimes, but mm -hmm. I know there's some of those folks kind of in the ballpark of where I live. Yeah, we have, we have quite a few Mennonite uh, folks as well. And the quickest way is Mennonite men don't dress like Amish. Uh, Mennonite women can look Amish, but their cap is a lot smaller and they generally have patterns on their dresses, you know, some kind of pattern. Uh, I whereas... have heard that the Mennonites are fast as hell. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I've heard that <laughs> several times. <laughs> well, you know, and Mennonites drive cars, so. Uh, well, that's, I guess that's cars. a big difference. Yeah, that's the main difference, really. Okay, then. And I've they have, Amish and they people. have it, and they have church buildings. The Mennonites, they have a Mennonite church, whereas the Amish use their homes. Um. They kind of cluster, uh, they'll have, it's called a, uh, a district, a church district. And it's usually people that live within maybe a half a mile of one another. And they'll rotate every other Sunday they have church. And they, they'll, one of the church members will host, you know, everyone in their home. 
which led to uh, some guys from Illinois uh, realizing that all you had to do was drive around an Amish community, and if you saw a ton of buggies at one person's house, all the other houses in the area would be empty. So we had these guys from Illinois coming out and burglarizing Amish people. Uh, you know, uh, the reason we caught him was there was a guy that, that stayed home because he was ill, and all of a sudden these guys come in the house, and so he was able to get word to us, and uh, we caught him. That's nice. But, yeah, I know. All the way from Illinois. That's probably a, you know, five-hour road trip for a burglar. You know, you don't catch the uh, the smart ones generally, but that <laughs> I, I mean, like that I is a good idea. That, I that is a good that idea. Rule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. And I'm, and I'm afraid that maybe I might have given someone an idea, but yeah, if we see in the news in a couple of weeks, there's been a string of robberies to the yeah. and burglaries to the Amish. We're we're gonna blame you. Yeah. How how did that community? Uh, I guess interact with law enforcement where they, because uh, my understanding is they kind of police themselves. Uh, to a degree, um, you know, I mentioned that they don't, uh, they're not baptized at birth. They they wait until they're you know seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, before they decide whether or not they're going to uh, be baptized. Uh, but after sixteen to 20 they go through a period called rumspringa and were there not only allowed but actually to encourage to go out and see the non-amish world and so that leads to some pretty rollicking good times it's always on sunday nights too i mean <laughs> you wouldn't believe some of the sound systems in these buggies that these rumspringa kids have but you can we... hear them coming a mile away. And and the, the problem is, is that buggies don't go very fast. So you hear them for a long time. So, yeah, they would go out and they'd get drunk. And, you know, we'd get wind of an Amish party. And it would be at a farm somewhere or out in the middle of a field. And you try and sneak up on them. But, but you know, there may be 100 of them. And, man, it was like, you know, they'd go off in every direction. You might get one or two of them, you know, but. That was a lot of fun. That was, I never had an Amish kid fight me though. They would run, but once you caught them, it was over, you know? Oh, oh you got me. <laughs> it's funny. We actually introduced a dare program into Amish schools too, uh, in the County that I was in. Is that a so big the, problem within the Amish youth is, uh, narcotics? Um, I think more so alcohol, uh, than the narcotics. I mean, it's there. I mean, they're people, you know. Um, you know, a lot of people will say, "Oh, you the Amish think they're so perfect." Well, no, that exactly no. They they don't think they're perfect. They're the last. I'll tell you, they're 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 sinners. You know, I mean, they they realize they they try to tell the line, but they you know they're human. Um, and now too, I mean, you could go on the Facebook and search some of the more uncommon Amish names like Detweiler or Stoltzfus or um, don't look at Miller or Yoder because there'll be a billion of them. But the young Amish kids are on Facebook. They got smartphones, you know, they've got uh, plenty of data. So it's, they're not as isolated as they once were. You know, what's interesting 
um, because you brought up the Amish thing, and I I haven't watched the documentary. I think there's some documentary where it's – I've seen commercials for it where they're saying all this horrid shit happens within the Amish community, which I I look at stuff like that, Mm -hmm. and and to go on a little rant here. Sure. Is there bad things that happen in some Amish communities? Oh, sure. There's bad things that happen in every – community there's they're people look they're people and it's i don't i hate this like i don't know i i struggle with it sometimes because i i you know i make a living on the internet as much as i i hate the internet but yeah man people are throwing you know rocks you know from glass houses or however that saying goes is okay yeah there's a bad amish guy does that mean every amish person is bad, right? It's no, like the thing with police is like, oh, that, you know, that guy did something right. in, in Memphis. Oh, yeah, I guess that's all of us, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, right. right. I guess I, I hate this um this attitude in this country that uh, we're everything's groups. We're all groups, and mm-hmm. we all, if we belong to a certain group, we all represent the same exact thing, which is it's clinically insane, and we need to we need to stop. We just, it's got to stop. Yeah. Absolutely. No argument there. But yeah, I, I, I mean, just... they're people, they're people. I, I, they're hard, you know, in the area I live, they all have uh, farms to some degree. Some are larger than others, but not many of them make a living farming anymore. They uh, are in the trades quite a bit. Uh, roofing, siding, construction, things like that. Um, and as a result, we have a lot of, not, of course they don't, they can't own vehicles. So they'll contract with a guy that's got a van, you know, a non-Amish guy who we call Yankees, they call English and they take them to their job sites and (laughs) I don't want to get, this is another rabbit hole we can dive down, but. There's two kinds of Amish taxi drivers. There's legit guys that have a valid OLN and they have insurance and they've tagged your vehicle as a commercial. Uh, and they have like a 10, 12 passenger van and they'll tow a construction trailer behind them. And then you have the guys who just got their beater van that are under suspension, have no insurance. Uh, and it's all a cash business, you know. I kind of, when I was working the road, kind of made a point of trying to take some of these really, really, basically criminal taxi drivers off the road. But I was going to say, since we're since we're on the topic of the Amish, mm-hmm. do you have like in a story like your best as far as police <laughs> oh, Amish <yeah>. story? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, I was last four years. I, I was at the SO, I was in the bureau, which I loved. I worked four tens. You know, if, if there wasn't anything serious going on, I had Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off. And I'm, I'm working the rest of the time 10, 10 hour shifts, which I mean, eight hours, 10 hours, what's the difference? You know, you're there early anyway. So I, I, it was like a bonus day off during the week for me. But I really loved working in the bureau because. Well, I worked with a great bunch of people, for one. You know, people that I'd worked with my whole career. Uh, and they were great investigators, great people to work with. But um, 
<laughs> one of my first cases I caught in the bureau, I had, let's see, I'd taken some time off. My wife and I had gone out west on a trip. I came back, and my first day back, uh, one of my buddies in the bureau, Mitch, says, hey, we saved a case for you. I said, okay, what do you got? He says, well, we got to go uh, set up uh, this morning. We got some hookers coming to an Amish guy's house, and we want to bust them right there on the property. And I said, all right, what's going on? He says, well, good old Jake, he's a semi-retired widower who got lonely and answered a classified ad. <laughs> and they came to his home, and in short, in short, they convinced him that someone had installed a video camera and there were there was video and unless that unless jake paid them x number of dollars that you know they were gonna take this video to the bishop but it wasn't them it was someone else it somehow you know and of course there was no camera but jake you know he didn't know and so he started giving them his credit cards and giving them cash and so I had to do quite a bit of uh, follow-up. We did, oh, by the way, we did bust the hookers right there on Jake's property <laughs> that day. But uh, I have to tell you, it was my first real experience at how good Walmart cameras are. Because they would just go on these shopping sprees, you know, with, with Jake's credit card. And uh, it, <laughs> I was just so mad watching these there were probably i think there were five of them and and the one guy was actually in in a, an adjoining county in jail but was kind of directing the operations from the jail um and it was um it never did go to trial thankfully but uh yeah we we indicted i think there were five people on that but i also had to go to the big city and interview hookers and i usually save that for fridays <laughs> <laughs> my wife she say hey what are you gonna do, do today i says yeah i'm gonna go look for hookers and so we uh, we were in the big city running these people down i uh i have some yeah that was fun but that was the most bizarre amish case you know good old jake he was just a lonely old guy and i kind of felt bad for him by yeah. the way you could you could google amish widower extortion and they would come up <laughs> Poor guy. It, just everybody pick, everybody left. picked up that story back then because, you know, it was an Amish guy. I have some friends that work in a, a rural dis jurisdiction, and and they were saying, oh, yeah, we, you know, we did some training uh, trying to, you know, identify hookers and stuff. And, you know, I come from – I'm the city guy, right? I'm like, mm -hmm. there's hookers here? Which I, I, I assume, you know, <laughs> hookers travel. They have cars. They have buggies. Well, now. sure. But um, I think the lot lizard is the problematic – person out oh, yeah. in these parts of the world. Right. Right. Yeah, we um, didn't have uh, a lot, but you know, and and I'm sure it may be more prevalent than than what you Oh, we did have another had nothing to do with the Amish. We did have one of those uh, Asian massage parlors open up that we busted. I did not get to go undercover on that one. I'm sure but, you were um, upset about that. I was, yeah. But other um, than that, yeah. You know what? That 
that just inspired a meme. I'm going to make a meme about going undercover <laughs> at one of those places. Um, We're brainstorming here. There are yeah. some ideas out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm curious when you were on the job, a term that is thrown about quite a bit now is the jobs dead. Were people mm-hmm. saying that when you were a cop? The job's dead? No. No. It's, things have changed so much since I retired. It really has. You yeah, know, I they, feel like you we got had our ups kind of the golden age of it. Yeah, we had our ups and downs. But, uh, you know, well, we didn't have body cams. And I, when I, I mean, they were around before I retired. We didn't have them. Um. But I recall thinking back then, you know, hey, bad guys, be careful what you ask for, you know, because you're not going to be able to show up in court all cleaned up with an ill-fitting suit. We're going to see what you look like and acted like when you got popped, you know. But that's just one aspect that that changed quite a bit. And I I think still, for the most part, um, body cameras are probably a darn good thing. Yeah, I, so I think have, they're a great thing. So you do have to watch what you say. Yeah. Not that I would ever say anything untoward. Uh, obviously not. <laughs> it was really the, the most interesting thing for me was court. Because when I first started, there was no body cameras. And, you know, you yeah. would go to court and you, would, you know, you would testify and that was it kind of thing. But with the yeah. advent of body cameras... It, it gave the lawyers more to uh, twist, right? Yeah. Like, well, you yeah. said this on the stand, but then this right. is what's on your body camera. Well, right. this is what I perceived, right? It, and, you know, exactly. it's it's almost like you get to a point where you're memorizing everything on the body camera, which can, you know, you yeah. go to 100 calls before you go to court or maybe even 1,000. Right. And it's 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 tough, even if you watched it right before court. Right. It, and I don't know. It's. I think they are overall still with the faults. I think they are a good thing, but mm-hmm. I do think that, you know, people like to be protected. They want to feel safe. You know, mm-hmm. they like knowing the cops are out there. It's kind of the old saying, they don't want to see how it's done. And now that they're seeing how it's done, you know, we look at a lot of things. We're like, yeah, that's not a big deal. That's totally fine, man. Maybe they could have done things differently, but somebody that's not on the street every day that sees how people yeah. interact with us, they're, they're mortified by what they're seeing on the camera. Well, absolutely. That, that, that was my point. And, and I think people are realizing that uh, legitimate law enforcement can be darn ugly. You know, it's not yeah. rainbows and unicorn farts for the most part. It can yeah, be downright and, ugly and, and I think- still be good law enforcement. Yeah, I agree. I, I think we do ourselves a disservice because, you know, a lot of guys will, you know, get on social media and they'll watch a body camera and they're like, well, I would have done this or that. And it's like, come on. I always there. subscribe to that. I wouldn't there. I yeah. mean, there are some that are so egregious. You, you think, oh, my God. But I think for the most part, you got to be there, you know, to get you just don't look at a snippet, you know. <laughs> you, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. I I feel like my time in law enforcement 
people, even from when I started, people were not getting, I guess, adequate jail time. And there was kind of this revolving door. Oh, yeah. Was that similar then when you worked? Uh, not so much at a felony level, uh, but certainly at the misdemeanor level. Um, it probably helped to describe. Uh, we had one municipal court in for the entire county. And typically that's where all your misdemeanors were adjudicated. And the county prosecutor was there for the felonies. Now they might add in some misdemeanors, but if the primary charge was a felony, the county handled it. And it was, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, you had to, if, if it was a fresh arrest, you took them to municipal court for bond. And then they set a pretrial and you tried to get them um, indicted before the pretrial because you did not want the police prosecutor, which was the guy that had contracted with uh, the city to, you know, prosecute all the, the misdemeanor cases. This guy was a piece of work. Um, give you an example. We never got subpoenas for trials. They would um, send these little yellow notes out. It says, hey, you're scheduled for pretrial hearing and then a trial, and it's your duty to keep in contact with us. So you'd keep in contact. <clears throat> Excuse me. But basically, if there was a trial in municipal court, it was always on a Thursday. And so if you had something pending, you'd call and you'd say, hey, Vicky, I got anything going. And he says, no, nah, you're fine. It's okay. But on a rare occasion where it was going forward, you'd show up, you know, half hour before court and you'd have your case report with you. And uh, Milt, the prosecutor, would come in five minutes after the trial was supposed to start, sit down in the office and say, OK, where's the report? What we got? And I said, well, I sent you a report, Milt. Here's a copy that I brought. If you want to read it, that would be great. <clears throat> he said, okay, where's my witnesses? I said, Milt, I cannot, I don't have subpoena power, buddy. Well, I can't prosecute if I don't have witnesses. Well, that's not my job, man. That's your job. I actually had to meet with the judge and vent one time. It didn't change anything, but I felt better. Sometimes that's um, all you can do. I know. I know. But yeah, uh, if it was going through municipal court, it was a crapshoot. Uh, our county prosecutors have always been pretty good. If you arrested someone on a felony and it was a Friday night, they got what we called the mandatory three because you couldn't bond out from a felony on a fresh, fresh arrest. You had to go up uh, to municipal court on Monday morning. Or if it was a holiday weekend, you know, it was the mandatory four. Anyway, that's what we called it. I like that. Yeah, yeah. that's... um. Yeah, kids, there's some friendly advice. Don't get arrested on the weekend because I think that's, <laughs> that's still right, kind that's of a thing right. now. Yeah. Try to get arrested, you know, early on Monday morning. You you may yeah. have a good shot of uh not being in there very long. I, I'm curious about one thing, and this is kind of kind of out there as far as a question, but I, I, I don't know where why this popped in my head, but before the advent of uh, Facebook and Instagram, all that stuff, and mm -hmm. you had mentioned, you know, you you found me through the memes, right? I I I just want to know if this was a normal thing. My dad had a printout 
of funny cartoons and stuff that guys would share in the office. And he had a file of them. I don't know if he still has that. And, and I think about that and I'm like, is that what memes were back before the days of the internet? Did you guys do that kind of shit? They used to. Yeah. In fact, um, not only that, but, uh, a cassette recorder, there would be funny stuff. And most of it was kind of like you'd uh, almost meme like, I don't know if you ever heard the one of the guy that was, that picked up a roadkill deer and the deer came to life in the back of his car. Uh, it just a average citizen. It turns out that that was bogus. It was just a, somebody having fun, but, uh, you know, we used to pass around these, uh, yeah, there'd be like comics. Yeah. And some were blue and some were not, you know? So, but yeah, it Doc, was nowhere. You, are you familiar with Dr. Demento? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, to me, like that guy does not get nearly enough credit for all the weird stuff that we oh, see on the internet and social media. It's because of people like him mm-hmm. um, that made that kind of stuff. I don't want to say mainstream, but it got out to enough people that were inspired by his weirdness. Right. Yeah, Weird Al was one of them. Yeah, he started Weird Al is, is big because of Dr. Demento. I actually I you mentioned the cassette tapes and I was like, God, I, I bet you have Dr. Demento cassette tapes because I do <laughs> I'm somewhere sure I in do. storage. I'm sure I do. Yeah, absolutely. I actually got the song Weird Al uh, a few years back. Fantastic show if you ever get a chance. Go see Weird Al. I need to before it's all done because I I grew up listening to Weird Al. I, I feel like the the first CDs I had were Weird Al and yeah. um, all that stuff. So that was... Big fan of Weird Al. Yeah. Who would have thought we'd have been talking about Weird Al? But here That's we are. Weird. It is weird. Um, <laughs> all right. Before we get going too much further, I need to make sure I do this because I don't want to forget. It is mm-hmm. time for our officer of the podcast. As you guys know, nominate your buddies. I prefer emails, poorly made police memes at gmail.com. But if not, uh, you can send me a, a message on Facebook or Instagram. And you nominate your buddies. If they're not getting recognized or hell, they're getting recognized. They just did something cool. And I will read it on the podcast and they will win. If they win, rather, they will get a patch specially made for the podcast by my good buddies over at Ghost Patch, which you should check them out. Hopefully, by the time this podcast comes out, uh, we have some new, fun, and exciting, and spicy things coming out. So, here's the nomination. And there's a pop-up. And there's another pop-up. Thank you, Norton Antivirus. All right. Uh, His name is Blankety Blank. He is a part-time deputy for our agency. His full-time job is a flight medic for... I'm not going to say where. He has been... Part of SWAT teaches at a regional law enforcement academy and is an all-around badass. He brings years of uh, invaluable knowledge to our department, and we are better for knowing him and gaining wisdom from his experience. So there it is. There is our officer of the podcast. Does he deserve a round of applause, a T-Rex or air horns? Air horn. Gotta go air horns. Gotta go air horns. <laughs> I've I've been a little behind on my uh, my buttons lately. I'll probably need to step my game up. Well, I mean, it's poorly made. It's poorly you made. can't, you know. No expectations. That's right. So or low. I don't want. No, go ahead. 
or low, if not or low. Yeah, no. I yeah. can handle low expectations. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I don't want to put you on the spot here, but no, go ahead. I'm go kind ahead. of hoping. I'm feeling spicy. Hear... All right, I want to hear. <laughs> um, I want to hear an '80s cop story. I want to hear about the shit you guys used to do that there's no way could be done now. Do you have a good story? Hmm. That won't get you put into prison, obviously. Uh, no, you know, we used to chase the wheels off people. You know, you, you, it, there was a period of time where you, you might get written up if you lost a pursuit. God, uh, that would be glorious. Not I know. <laughs> I think back on that now. Yeah, there, there were supervisors that you, if you weren't good enough uh, at a pursuit, uh, yeah, you get... Uh, a letter of reprimand, not for, not for you know, what you would expect these days. But back then, you lose a guy. You know, that's not your job is to catch him. Yeah, so that's probably the biggest thing. Uh, probably use of force. By the time I was on the job, wasn't as archaic as you might think. Like I mentioned before, the, the occasional memo would come out. You know, use your flashlight to see in the dark. That sort of thing. Um, I would like to think that we were pretty darn professional for that period of time. Uh, you know, that's just, you know, you just didn't, I'm trying to think. I, we, I think we always there was had, probably. We always had, yeah. We always had like, you know, procedurally, you know, we wouldn't send a guy to a domestic by himself. Um, you know, a bar fight you wouldn't go to by yourself, unless you just happened on it. Yeah, it happens, you know, but you got to deal with what you got. Um, I got to tell you, here, you know, here's a really cool story. It could happen today. It really doesn't have anything to do with back in the day talk, but um, it was a Friday night, and, and you hear people say, hey, there's never a cop around when you need one. Well, yeah, I mean, we've probably, there were three of us working that night. It would have been actually like 2.30 on a Saturday morning. And I had the South Zone, which was, you know, pretty much the southern third of the county. And I'm just, I'm patrolling. It's relatively quiet. Of course, you never say that on a Friday night or Saturday morning. That, oh, sure, it's quiet. because. <laughs> I almost guarantee that things are going to blow up on you. But I'm I'm in this one township that's in the southern zone, and I, I'm on a dirt road. And it's the middle of summer. And I see something weird happening up ahead of me. I see headlights dancing back and forth. So I kind of speed up. I don't know if two guys are just playing grab-ass or what they're doing, but I, I, I'm going to find out because it's, Bar closing time, you know. And as I get up there, I can see that they've there. There's one car in a ditch, and it's a, a '64 Ford Galaxy, uh, aqua green. And I know the car. I know who owns that car. And there's another car that's forced it into the ditch. And these two guys are out. One's black guy. One's a white guy. They're trying to drag this young woman out of the Ford Galaxy and into their car. And she's fighting them tooth and nail. Well, I just happened to roll up on a kidnapping in progress. And so, you know, I bail out. This is 
I mean, this is what this is why you do what you do, right? I mean, could you think of a more perfect scenario? <laughs> no, that I mean, that is it. That is why you were a cop. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I uh, of course they see me. I got my lights on, and I hit this siren a couple times, and they drop her and jump in the car and take off. Not before I get a plate, though. I got the plate. I check on the woman. She's a young girl. She's in her early 20s. It was right in front of her house. And so I said, go in the house. I'll be back. I got to get these guys. So now I'm uh, pursuing these guys down dirt roads. And I don't know if you've ever driven down a dirt road at night with a car in front of you. You're just looking at your peripheries for the ditches. You know, I mean, it's nearly impossible to see if you're right behind someone on a dirt road. And I chased them, and I chased them, and I chased them, and at the end of the, uh, I lost them. I blew through an intersection, and they had turned right, and by the time I got turned around. But I had a good description of them, a good vehicle description, and a license plate number. And it turns out they were from Akron. And so dispatch got on, talked to Akron, and Akron was there at the guy's house when they showed up. And they arrested him. I went down and got him. So that was pretty darn cool. Um, what had happened was... Uh, there was one of the local roadhouses, you know, which is basically a roadside bar out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, this young lady who was single, she had met some friends for drinks uh, at this one bar. And these two guys were from out of town and they targeted her. And when the bar closed, they followed her. And, uh, you know, who knows what would happen to her. But, um, I, I mean, the reason I knew her because I'm kind of yeah. an aficionado of old cars. I love old cars. And so I used to see the car and, and, uh, I recognized that, uh, you know, it was that one woman that worked for the landscaper. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was going to go to trial too. And the prosecutor at the time, actually the two guys had bonded out and they were sitting there and he actually got in their face and this is, uh, I'm going to bury you guys, you know. Hey, we're just having a little summertime fun. You're going down. <laughs> it was a little unethical, but it was fun. We need more prosecutors like that. I know it. I know it. They actually changed their plea, and I think that might have something to do with it. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um. Oh, shoot. Lost my train of thought. Poorly made. Yeah. Happened. It's okay. It happens yeah. to the best of us. That's right. Drink more Metamucil. <sighs> right. Well, I had my little energy drink in my water, so that's that's the best I can do. I was going to ask you, or actually, I was uh, to kind of step back a, a minute mm-hmm. ago, as far as you were talking about the uh, you know use of force, and you guys were really professional. I have a thought on all of that. I think. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. There, there's always people that kind of push the boundaries, and I, I'm obviously person that. You know, I I believe in the Constitution. I believe in, you know, what Mm -hmm. we're supposed to be doing. And the Fourth Amendment, you know, it doesn't give you right right to beat the shit out of somebody. Right. Right. But but I feel like there used to be an understanding, and there probably should be, but there's not. If you fight a cop, you're probably going to pay for it. You know? Um, You know, like you mentioned, the Amish kids, you caught them and they gave up. All right. Kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. It is what it is. But I think now with... You know, back when you guys were out there, I think people just kind of understood this is the risk I'm going to take. If I'm going to mm-hmm. fight with the cops, they're going to fight back. I'm probably going to get my ass kicked. Right. 
where now people expect you to, I, I don't know, if you watch Star Wars, use the force and calm people down and get them in the handcuffs without a fight when, you know, these people are obviously fighting because they right. don't want to go to jail. And there's just like, to me, there's no public understanding of that. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think it's, man, it's a tough call. I think that some cops are better than others at, at defusing or, you know, we, we used to call it verbal judo. Now it's what, what's the latest term for? I actually, I went, when I went through it was verbal judo. Is there anything I can do or say? Yeah. To uh, whatever the, the rest of I that verbiage is. Yeah. I, what, what I found effective personally was saying off the wall stuff. I said, hey, man, where'd you get them shoes? <laughs> it was like, wait a minute i'm yelling at you and you want to know where i got my shoes I said, yeah you know I, I just throw something weird out there that was, certainly didn't always work but it worked often enough that i just say weird stuff I, I don't want this to come out off like pretentious or anything like that but i what i would do and, and i'm by no means i'm not saying that i'm a very bright man mm -hmm. at all but i I found what was really effective for me was to just kind of be slow and methodical when I talk to people and mm -hmm. almost dumb it down a little bit. So well, yeah. it wasn't threatening. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And I found like, if you're just talking to somebody, like you would talk to your neighbor or whatever, mm -hmm. people are like, Oh, this guy's cool. Like he's not a dick right. kind of thing. And you catch right. more flies with honey. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, no question. You know, but then there's the, the guy that is, nothing you can do you know they're so impaired that you know they don't know what they're doing you know and you just got to go hands-on and the i can recall the first time i put a pain compliance hold on someone and they just laughed at me because they felt no pain and that's a a bit of a, a wake-up call when you know that what you're doing to this guy should hurt like all get out and it does nothing. <laughs> they go, oh my God, here we go. And that's the, the times I were, I was hurt most on the job were those kind of calls. I got, you know, back problems to this day because, because that guy that tore up the one tavern one night and called us all on. He even took a <laughs> guy I responded with was a canine guy. And he took uh, this German shepherd that had grabbed a hold of his crotch and flung him through the air just by, you know, with one hand. And thinking, oh my God. He's lucky he didn't lose parts during that, or did he? Uh, he, well, we, there were, I think, four of us that ended up in a hospital. He was one of them. Uh, and he even assaulted one of the nurses there. And I tell you what, if you're in the hospital and you have a catheter in, don't piss off the nurse. Because when it comes time to remove it, it's going to like she's trying to start a chainsaw, you know. <laughs> oh, I had a guy, probably the one of the best fights I, I was in. Mm-hmm. We had a guy that was, I think it started out as a domestic and it ended up just being a verbal thing where there's no cr crime, but this guy, mm -hmm. you know, ends up, I get on scene and I see uh, my partner being thrown to the ground kind of mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And so we're, you know, he ends up getting batoned and tased and all this shit. Mm -hmm. He actually called and left a message and apologized the next morning, which no I, I was, 
I was dumbfounded that that happened. He was, yeah. You know, hey, I was drunk. I was stupid. It does not happen yeah. very often. Like, often, rather. I wonder if he was Amish. That could have been it. <laughs> Might have been. <laughs> um, yeah, what state was that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's every once in a while, man, people people will surprise you. And, and that's the thing, too, oh, yeah. is I think sometimes we, as cops, we can unfortunately get into this us versus them thing. Oh, and, sure. Yeah. You know, sometimes people just fuck up, man. They have a bad night and they make some pretty fucking heinous Absolutely. mistakes. Absolutely. So. Yeah, that's one of the hardest things, I think. Uh, you know, I always prided myself in being a, kind of the steady Eddie guy. Um if you were monitoring me on the police radio, you wouldn't know if I was headed to a homicide or a lockout. You know, I mean, I tried to, you know, maintain a level of, of calm that allowed me to, you know, be more effective. But toward the end of my career, I could sense that I was beginning to lose that. You know, even though I was, I was now in the bureau and I wasn't, uh, you know, having to deal with uh, hot calls as often. It was, uh, I my patience was wearing thin, I think, after after all the years of putting up with chuckleheads, you know. I think at a certain point, your cup just gets full and you're yeah. just, yeah. you're done. That's all um, I can stand. It's a Popeye thing, right? That's all yeah. I can stand. I can't stand no more. First Popeye reference on the podcast, I think. Wow, we're breaking ground here. We are. Weird Al and Popeye Man, on podcast. Yeah. We're, yeah. So, Not in the same hour, but close. close. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Sure. There's um a perception within law enforcement. And, and you know, I, I've talked about it a little bit, is you see guys, they they work their career, they do 25, they do 30 years. Mm-hmm. They retire and then they drop dead. I know. And I, I'm sure you've seen that, but I wanted to ask you, what do you think you did right to get through a career and then have longevity after a career? Uh, luck, genetics, um, an awareness that that could happen, I suppose. Um I don't know. I think probably more luck than anything. Um, you know, I was I, really hoping I was able you had to... the, the key. <laughs> it's the key. Let no. me down. No, luck no, is no, the no, key, no. folks. Go get a scratch None, ticket right now. None shall pass. <laughs> it's the uh, yeah. I you know I here's I can give you a little tip. One of the I remember this from my my days at the State Patrol Academy. One of the instructors. Uh, who was a deputy sheriff. Uh, he was from the Franklin County Sheriff's Office. I, mean, I don't recall his name, but he was a pretty good instructor. And he had a course of study on off-duty. And he said, when you're off-duty, you're off-duty. Don't wear your basket weave pants belt. You know, don't carry a, of course, back then it was a pager. Don't, you know... Uh, you know, don't wear a police ball cap or, you know, or, or a t-shirt when you're off duty, make sure you realize you're off duty and you're going to be relaxed. I took it so far as to not wear a watch when I was off duty. That was my signal that 
that, you know what? I've earned this day or whatever, and I'm not a cop right now. Now, of course, if I had to be, I could, but, you know, I, I wasn't a cop my whole career. I, when I was off, I got kids to look, uh, you know, to, to take care of and a spouse and dogs and, and I like to hunt and fish and cook and fix stuff. I, I love fixing stuff. I got a little shop in the basement that uh, I just take old stuff and try and make them new again. So what guess, you're you know, saying. Don't be a cop all the time. Yeah. I think that is fantastic advice. Mm-hmm. But I, it's funny that stuck with me and I actually took it to heart. And, uh, you know, I haven't worn a watch since I retired. Uh, I do have a pocket watch that I carry from time to time, only because I'm an OG, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's a real power move. If uh, somebody asks for the time and you reach into your pocket and (laughs) open up a locket. And then you tip your top hat to them, right? And then, yes. Yeah. Yeah. How has retirement been for you? Did you, did you miss the job when you left or were you ready? You know, uh, I was ready. The thing I missed, most of the the people I work with, I don't get to see them as often. We occasionally call up, and in fact, I was just a couple of weeks ago went out to to lunch with the guy I worked with for gosh the whole time I was there, and he was he was kind of, he's he had a reputation of being a nut nut job, and he is Mark if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the chief deputy I told you about? Yeah, he he didn't know how to take Mark. Because Mark would just say things to him. And he'd go, hey, Chief. Yeah, Mark. I says, Chief, you do the work of two men around here. Oh, thanks, Mark. He says, yeah, Laurel and frickin' Hardy. <laughs> he would insult him to I his I didn't face. get that reference, but I assume it was the comedy duo. Yeah, Laurel and Hardy. It could have been uh, Larry Curley and Moe. You do the work I got of that. Re- I do know that one. Yes, I yeah. know that reference. Yeah. Yes. And so he'd look at Mark and then he'd laugh. Oh, oh, oh. And then Mark would mimic his laugh. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, Mark and I worked a lot of years together. We, gosh. Um, I remember one time we got a call. It was on a Sunday after, Sunday midnight shift. He, uh, there was a guy, Bobby, we'll call him because that was his name, who was a, a frequent flyer. And he had a problem with drugs and alcohol. A young guy, probably early 20s. And he lived with his mom and his stepfather and two stepsisters. And it turns out that he had held the family hostage uh, at knife point one Sunday evening, but realized that, hey, the convenience store is going to close. Mom, you got to go for a beer run. So he sent mom out for a beer run. Of course, she went straight to the local PD and they called us. And so we met with uh, Bobby's mom. And she says, yeah, he's sitting there drinking beer. He's drunk. He's uh, got the rest of the family sitting on the couch across from him. He's going to kill him. Okay. Well, now, this is back in the 80s. We didn't have a SWAT team or any kind of tactical stuff. <laughs> yeah, we had... There were two of us working that night. So we met with uh, Bobby's mom, and we said, okay, is the back door open? She says, yeah, it should be. So we parked way far away, 
snuck up there, looked through the window, and sure enough, there he is. Bob's got a beer in one hand, a knife in the other, and a dog in his lap. And he's facing his stepdad and his two stepsisters. They're across the living room sitting on a couch watching him. They look like that. I don't know if you ever saw Hee Haw, but the, uh, the Culhanes of Calhoun County, <laughs> they're just sitting there on the couch. They didn't know what to do. So we formulated a plan. We signed out like at 12.02. We signed back in in custody at 12.04. We got one in custody because we just snuck in the back door, held our finger up to our lips to make sure that the stepdad and the stepsisters didn't say anything because we're coming up behind the guy. And I grabbed a hand with the knife and Mark grabbed the hand with the can of beer and we flung him out of the chair backwards and the dog went flying through the air and uh we just slammed them down and cuffed them and dragged them out. And, and we had a hostage situation done in about two minutes. Of course, everything was in our favor. You know, we didn't have to make any noise, make entry or anything like that. That that's amazing. It, was the dog. Okay. By the way, I don't dog, was the dog. dog was fine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The dog was fine. Yep. I'm sure rest in peace by now. Finally. Oh yeah. But, that, that was a long time ago, but Bobby's I gone. Feel like... Bobby's gone too. He didn't make it uh, into early. Yeah, drugs are bad. He lived in a, yeah, yeah, OD'd or something. But it was uh, a couple of years after that. But yeah, he was really pretty violent. That was back when we had a rubber room too in the jail. I never understood why they got rid of rubber rooms, but the ACLU sued, and there was a Supreme Court, and I can't even name the the case, but we had to get rid of a rubber room which was great. I mean, if you got somebody who was violent, you know, you just, they couldn't beat their head against anything that would hurt them. Just put them in the rubber room. And Bobby went in the rubber room that night because he was pretty violent. I, I feel like these days, you know, if you would have went in there mm-hmm. to, to rescue these people, essentially yeah. when you told them to be quiet, they'd be like, fuck 12. <laughs> <laughs> and uh then yeah. your your element of surprise would be gone or know. you know, know they oh you flung bobby too hard and yeah. uh, you hurt him and you you bent his wrist and <laughs> he's he can't win but it see that's to me that's that's why you sign up to be a cop right oh like yeah shit like that yeah. and i don't think you know it i know my agency that is something that would have never happened you know, mm-hmm. no one would have thought like, oh, hey, let's formulate a plan mm-hmm. and carry it out. Uh, it would have been, you know, call out and and SWAT teams and, and all kinds of crazy shit. It, and yeah. not to say you yeah. should be unsafe, but I, I feel like sometimes. Well, we had no these days. You're, yeah. Well, you're, I don't think you're empowered either. You know, you're given a badge and a gun, but, yeah. um, you know, you, I don't know. I, I feel like it's micromanaged to death yeah, at know, this point. What, what I should have probably earlier in the podcast explained a little bit more about what a sheriff I, I started on it but in ohio we don't have state police uh we have the highway patrol and they only have jurisdiction on public highways and state property so yeah we didn't have state police so in ohio the sheriff uh handles a lot more law enforcement duties than say uh, michigan or new york where they have state police who traditionally police you know, unincorporated areas of the state. Um, so, but it wasn't until recently that they passed a mutual aid law where a trooper, when asked, can back up 
uh, a sheriff's deputy or a police officer uh, on private property. All they have to do is ask, and they're they're covered. Occasionally, they would back us up. You know, if there was no one else, and and I had to run to a domestic, I'd say, "Hey, is there any troopers around?" And they would back me up. But if if they got hurt, they they were on their own. They workers' comp wouldn't cover them. You know, they they weren't performing in the the capacity of their um, commission. So, I heard that about Ohio. That's very strange that the, the troopers there. Yeah, As there are somebody else put it to me. They're not really cops. They're they're basically, uh, you know, assigned to the highway. Like Colorado is set up the same way, where you have the state patrol. Yeah. But they're, I mean, they could, you know, take care of anything, but they just mostly yeah. do it. I I know there's a lot of states that have state police, and um, but it it's it's weird how odd Ohio is set up for their state patrol, where they, mm -hmm. you know, they can't do. Well, and they've only been work. around since 1933. That was the first graduating class for highway patrol, and I, and I got to tell you, I, most of the troopers I I got to know over the years were stand up stand up cops. Uh, there were a couple that were kind of full of themselves, but for the most part, they were uh, they were good to have around. There weren't a many. There weren't many of them. I mean, there was one post for two counties, uh, you know, so there might be no one in the county that I was with, you know, at, at any given time. Plus, you know what else? They got to eat lunch. And, you know, like unless there was a fatal crash, uh, they had, they were, they could say, hey, I'm at lunch. And they would hold calls for them while they had lunch. We never, I can't, I could probably count on one, one hand the number of times I actually went and sat down in a diner and had lunch on duty. It's just, yeah, didn't happen. Not saying that our volume of calls was anything like, you know, Chicago or anything like that. Not at all. But uh, the the volume was sufficient that you really didn't want to risk ordering a meal and then, you know, five minutes later you got to go. So you brown bagged it. <laughs> you, ate, you ate on your way to the next call. Did you ever consider chasing the money a little bit, so to speak, and, you know, going to one of these bigger, higher paying agencies? I did, but um, we actually were able to convince the county commissioners that we were grossly underpaid. And I actually had a hand in making the graph charts and stuff, <laughs> which, and if you know anything about statistics, you can do a lot by not starting at zero. You can make the mountains a little more dramatic if you, you know, tailor your graph, but we were, you know, the lowest paid anywhere in our area. Uh, but miraculously they said, you know, you got a point. And so, yeah, we actually in the late eighties, about the time that I was, you know, seriously considering, you know, a, a living wage somewhere else. Cause I mean, I used to work details like crazy you know, paving details and uh, high school dances and football games and wherever you could get an extra buck. But they finally, yeah, we got a really substantial raise. And actually, we got fantastic vacation time as well. So it all worked out. And we, since that time, we've actually had, not just me, but a ton of people 
spend their career there and retire. Look at that. I know. You deserve Can a you round imagine? of applause for that. Yeah, you you yeah. changed that whole department single handedly. Well, <laughs> it was actually the chief deputy at the time and the sheriff. They they were the the brains of that outfit. And the chief deputy we had at that time was one that didn't mind getting uh, out on Friday nights with us and mixing it up. Yeah, he was uh, a different kind of staff officer, good old Harry. So we've come to the portion of the podcast where I have my lineup of dumb questions. Are you ready? All right. Fire away, man. How much time do I have? <laughs> I don't really have a timeline. Do, do I have, I have to have I no, gotta you, be succinct, succinct, and uh... no, do whatever you want. Uh, okay, as long as we are done before the time my kids get home, which we we have yeah, a little time, we have some wiggle room. Um, okay. Because once they get home, it's it's pandemonium and the world oh, is ending and the world's on fire. Exactly. What is the okay. stupidest thing you ever did as a rookie? Oh, I know that was a long time ago. So if you need, yeah, to I know, I know, I know. That was a long time ago. Stupidest thing I ever did as a rookie. I'm sure I did plenty of stupid things. Oh, I had, um, remember those open top cuff cases? They were all yeah, the rage. They, they were brand new back in the very early 80s. They're still around. Yeah. 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 Uh, make sure they're not ill fitting. I remember oh. getting out and, and having to arrest a guy, and he started to resist. And I went to reach for the cuffs, and they weren't there. They were on my front seat. Yeah. <laughs> But that's where uh, verbal judo came in. I said, all right, tell you what, man. If, you, if you're if you a decent guy, I won't put the cuffs on you. Okay. So, <laughs> I didn't tell him I didn't have any. I mean, that was pretty stupid. Yeah. Hey, it worked out, though, right? Well, it did. It did. Thankfully, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I imagine some fights would probably end if it's like, hey, dude, just give up and I won't handcuff you. <laughs> I know. Yeah, right. You know, not that that's What's... like really something that should be done, but I, I am sure keep... that would stop a bunch of fights. Keep it in your repertoire. Yeah, just, just in case, but still handcuff yeah. them. What is okay. something you wish you knew as a younger guy, but you now know now? Oh, wow. And you, that could be life. That could be police work. Um, things are never, most of the time when you're worried about stuff, it's never as severe as you make it out to be, you know? Yeah, sure. There's, you know, people that have terminal illnesses or, or whatever, but I'm talking about run of the mill stuff that, you know, might keep people up at night. Don't sweat the small stuff, man. Yeah. That's solid. Sense? No, that yeah. makes a ton of sense. I think yeah. Um, I think that's something that the boomers and Gen X do very well. I think mm -hmm. millennials and Gen Z, I think we struggle through that where mm -hmm. it, I, I again I hate to speak in generalities. Yeah, well, we're if you get on social that, media, so, yeah. yeah, you get on social yeah. media, you see it. And, and I'm guilty of it too. I, I worry about the dumbest stuff. And then when it comes to pass, it is nothing yeah. it is literally nothing. exactly exactly yeah and did you know that you can keep scrolling if you're on i had media? no idea yeah you can yeah i had no idea <laughs> um i i don't 
I don't want this to come out the ra- the wrong way. So take this with a grain of salt. But I have found, you know, I, I try to stay in my comment sections. Just, you know, oh there's, yeah, there's trolls. There's um, there's yeah. spam. There, there's all kinds of weird stuff. So I try my yeah. best to. I want people to come to the page and and not have right. to worry about that stuff. Like I don't care about the algorithm. You know, if, right. if there's more comments, it's good for me. I don't care. I'd rather right. just. I want it to be a fun place, but mm-hmm. I will see some of the stupidest stuff in the comment sections. And that's the thing you see in the news <laughs> oh, too, right? It's just right. the yeah. dumbest stuff. And it, and it makes you, I guess, weep for humanity, so to speak. But I, I well, guess... that's probably the, the biggest uh, uh, issue I have is you think really how many people are actually this dumb, you know, because it seems like, the number's growing maybe if you look at the comment section of, of news stories or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know. I generally am a pretty positive person. And I think that, uh, yeah, social media allows you to uh, a degree of anonymity that you can maybe, uh, you're not going to get punched in the face for saying something stupid. And I think people, trolls just love to get people worked up. Whether yeah, or not they believe I, what they're saying, you know, they just like to get people worked up. And that's it's exactly easy to it. Do. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. So I that's something me personally I'm trying to work on is just mm-hmm. who cares? Who cares well, you know, that's what the other some thing. random person thinks? Well, yeah, I mean that's the other thing. I um there's a web blog called officer.com. I don't know if you ever go there. I've heard of it. Yeah. There's only like three or four guys that post regularly and they're salty old guys but retired you know and people get on there for advice and they just rip them because they're they're old cops but people get all offended well, why are you talking to me that way and they said well you know if you are offended by something that i just typed your police work probably isn't for you you know because you really do have to let the stuff roll off your back you know that if if you let insults, you know, dictate how you're going to respond, you know, you just consider the source. For me to be offended, I would have to value your opinion. You know. <laughs> yeah, and and that's just it. And occasionally, I'll post, you know, what people's thoughts are on it because I I'm oh, curious because sure. because I yeah. I I don't know everything, and and it's interesting to see you know, the thought processes of, of other people. But again, you have to take that with a grain of salt because a, they could just be, they could just be assholes and they think it's funny and they can mm-hmm. yeah. you know, say whatever yeah. they're going to say. Um, you know, I know when I was younger, I'd fucking, you know, say shit on the internet just to, mm-hmm. you know, get a rise out of people kind well, of sure. thing. Or, or, or I think sometimes, uh, even though we're reading English and it's the same language, I think sometimes things get lost in translation when you're not having a real conversation. Right. So I, I think you just have to kind of take that all into account. And I, I do get worried that the world is getting dumber. I, I, I'm with you on that. But I'm to make me feel better about it, I just kind of assumed what you're seeing in the comment sections may not be real. Right. You know, and, and you also, you know, we hear about, you know, the quote unquote Russian and Chinese tampering. Who, mm-hmm. who the fuck knows if that's a real profile <laughs> anyway? Who, God, right. who knows? Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, yep. you, you brought up something and the video has been making the rounds on the Internet and it, it kind of cracks me up about, you know, you say stuff to somebody on the Internet. There's there's really no repercussion. 
right? No. no. Um, and I, I saw this guy, and I don't know the complete backstory of, but it's this young kid. I think they're at a Dallas Stars game, and he's you know he's he's running his mouth to the guy sitting above him, and saying you know just just being a dumb kid, saying shit he probably shouldn't be saying. The guy mm-hmm. just telegraphs the punch, but the kid still didn't <laughs> see it coming, and just right. fucking you know. It's yeah. hilarious, right? And yeah. then the guy's like, well, he hit me first kind of shit. And it's like, that's exactly it. Like, this is somebody that um, had never gotten his ass kicked for saying something before yeah. Yeah. Um, because of the world we live in. And that was a, a, a wake-up call to reality is, oh, sometimes I can't get away with shit like this in real well, that's like the that's like a, it's a different uh, video, but the one where the guy's uh, uh, messing with Tyson on the airplane. Now... If you ask me, he was deliberately asking for it because he wanted clickbait. You know, his buddy was in the seat videoing the whole thing. But, you know, he's going over the back of the seat where Mike Tyson's sitting and he's, you know, flicking his ear and tossing the water bottle over there. And and Mike, you know, rightfully so, gets up and just nails him, you know, (laughs) because, hey, stop it, you know. And, uh, you know, you can tell that this kid, that that, that's what he does. You know, he's, it's kind of about him and, you know, there's no, <clears throat> excuse me, shortage of narcissism on, on uh, social media. That's for sure. Yeah, I think that is a, um, that's something that my generation and the, the Gen Z folks, we need to figure out how to appropriately address that as a society. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that's just kind of an individual and, you know, small circle of influence is just stop letting these people get what they want. And yeah. I think it it'll probably at some point go away because I, the internet is such a great tool and it, you know there it is such a source of information and it's you know you, if you want to see you can find whatever you want on the internet right we have exactly. all of this knowledge um, at our hands but I, I I don't know that we've we the technology evolved quicker than than we do I don't think we necessarily or some of us don't have the maturity to handle right and process everything we're seeing. Well, you know, back back in the day, we'd be sitting around like, you know, maybe I'm over at my brother's house and uh, he and I and our wives are sitting around enjoying a movie and we say, hey, where did we see that guy before? What movie was that guy in? And uh, now you just Google it. But back then you'd say, well, I don't know. <laughs> you go on with life, you know. You just yeah, accept are, that there are things you're never going to know or or you're not going to know right now. And that's, we're fine with that. We are so, um, I don't know, you know, we complain about how bad things are. And if you look at the history of man, we're, okay. mm-hmm. we're doing just fine. Things aren't that oh, I know. bad. You know, we can eat, we have shelter, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have, you know, we, we may have some issues with medical practice every once in a while, but we have. Mm-hmm. We can go to the doctor. Anybody in this country can go to the doctor and it's just, yeah. just stop. We're fine. Just, yeah. we, we're, we just, it, it's in human nature to complain about everything. And that's, I think that's the next step. Yeah. Well, by the way, we didn't mention it. We were talking about Amish before. Uh, the reason they don't drive cars. Did you know why? I don't know why. Uh, it's not that they have anything against cars and such. It's just, they realized that if they were to be more mobile, their community wouldn't be as tight knit and centralized. So 
it makes it harder for them to wander off. <laughs> I guess is what what the bottom line. And the reason, and they don't uh, they don't use electricity in their homes. Now it's changing a little bit, but they don't use electricity. They don't want to be on the grid. That's the only reason. You know, they would light their homes with gas lamps. Uh, but now, because they're a lot less risky, they're using LED technology with uh, banks of batteries and photoelectric cells and things like that. So they're lighting their homes more safely um, Interesting. by using that. Yeah. Well, it's not how toss that in there. You know, this is... The, uh, this is an educational program. I don't know if you knew this. Well, we're not, trying. But it, we're, what is educational? That's right. Um, you know, and you mentioned the off the grid thing. I mean, is there anything more American than that? Nope. Oh. Not at all. Yep. I, uh, you know, when when the uh, zombie apocalypse happens, the, they'll be the last per people around, probably. Yeah. Yeah. They got they got it figured out. Mm -hmm. To get back on track with the police stuff. Yeah. What do you think is the proudest moment of your career? Hmm. Uh, it's just tough. I don't know if there's just one. I have a ton of them. I mean, I've, I was fortunate, uh, to be in a couple life-saving situations. Well, more than a couple. I, I would argue the story you told us, um, before with the, the, the running kidnapping up on the kidnapping. That, I that's mean, a I, like I said, it doesn't get better than that, really. You know, you're, you're actually saving someone from a, uh, who knows what, you know, use your imagination. Um, uh, I actually probably the toughest case I ever worked as a detective involved a, uh, home invasion, mistaken identity homicide that, um, I worked from 06 until 08 when I retired. And by that time, we knew what happened and who the actors were, but we couldn't get anyone to come forward because uh, they would be dead. Um, but over the years, now I retired. I got called back for that case in 2016, um, actually 2015, when we indicted them. Because by that time, we had enough people that had got jammed up, uh, you know, and decided, okay, I'm going to start talking. And uh, yeah, that case was probably the toughest most involved i'd never gone up on a wire before you know a phone tap but the lead character was in prison and directing these homicides from from prison and he had a cell phone with him and i was able to determine uh a little flip phone how he got it what the number was we got uh, who had purchased it for him how he got it into prison uh, we went up on a wire then we went down. It was way down the southern part of the state. Um, and uh, so we finally, yeah, all those guys are in prison now. Uh, three of them. But That's awesome. poor guy, that, that, poor guy, the victim just had the wrong name. He had the same name as the guy that this, uh, this scumbag had put a hit out on. And then the hitman lost the address, so he just went on line and searched the name and thought oh yeah here's the guy and there's the wrong guy yeah I, I think people get mad about the uh justice is an immediate kind of thing because the uh, the instant gratification and yeah. stuff. and yeah. and i think the uh 
the respect, I guess, for the art, honestly, of, you know, these long-term investigations and doing things right. Because if, if you do something, I guess, out of pocket, so to speak, mm-hmm. you could lose a, a case on motions and it never oh, even yeah. goes to trial. So it's because of the way the system is set up, there's, there's so many, you know, T's across and I's to dot. Like if you don't, if you don't do things correctly, yeah. there, there won't be justice. And I don't think people understand that. Yeah, two the the guy that that uh, contracted for the hit and the hitman both went to jury trials, and of course now I'm I'm up on the stand for hours and hours on a case that I had worked, you know, years and years before. I had to do a lot of studying <laughs> to bring myself back up to speed. But I'd have to be honest, you know, one thing I learned early on, and and I would. Uh, it, it advise anyone that, especially just starting out in law enforcement, if you got to go to trial, don't ever lie. If you don't know, say I don't know, or can I look at the report because I I don't remember that. But also, and this is this is key, don't don't think that this defense attorney has anything against you personally. He's going to try and make you look like an idiot. He's going to try and make you look incompetent or she. And that's just a game. It's nothing personal. That's how they, that's how they, they kind of, they, they have to discredit what you're saying. Otherwise, you know, they don't stand a chance. And, but that's how the game's played. You know, this guy's entitled to a, a, a rigorous defense. You know, but I think a lot of times most juries see through it. I knew a couple of guys that would just get upset. I said, what? He's just doing his job. He's trying to make you look like an idiot. Don't don't let him. You know. Yeah, I, it amazes me. People kind of fall for that trap. And uh, yeah, if, here's here's my take on it: is if you're on the stand and that's all they have, yeah, and they're you know little BS things here and right. there, that should tell you all you need to know is that lawyer knows they have no real defense, and mm-hmm. this is the best shot is to get you upset and make you look like an idiot on the stand. Don't let yeah. them. Just yeah. yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. I no, don't sir. recall. Just, just, I don't, you know, if you don't know, you don't know. Just yeah, don't, don't make stuff up. Yeah. Don't get into a, uh, a debate on the stand. Cause yeah, right. Maybe you'll win that, but maybe you won't. And that mm. could prevent somebody from going to jail that needs to go to jail. Right. Exactly. But yeah, that, uh, I'm pretty proud of that case, but you know I got to give credit to the, to the detectives that stuck with it after I had retired, and that was my biggest regret. I think retiring is is leaving that loose end, knowing that I knew who the actors were, but it's just how we were going to prove it. And we finally got people to come forward that had information that only people had who had been to the crime scene would have known. And that's the other thing, you know, we're trying to keep stuff out of the press because, you know, as well as I, that there's information that that only the bad guy is going to know, you know. And so if you do get information later on down the road, you you, you judge the veracity based on, you know, the details. How, how would this person have known if they weren't directly involved? But if you get all that stuff that leaked out there, you got some real issues. Anyway, and I, 
No, I, yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think sometimes, you know, people don't understand you well, know, I think, why why yeah. the information isn't out there. And it really can make well, an investigation at, yeah. more difficult than it needs to be. Look at look at the, the cops out in Moscow, Idaho. You know, the press was screaming for information on those uh, students that got killed out there. And uh, it turns out the investigators were, were top-notch, you know. They were doing everything right. They just could not release details that the press wanted. And so they got, you know, drugged through the coals because they're being accused of incompetent and everything else. So what you're saying is the media doesn't know everything? Shocking. I know. Wow. Shocking. Shocking. That is nuts. The next question I have on my uh, my list of oh yes right we're still of goodies yeah we're doing we'll do whatever yeah. we want was was if you wanted your your child to be a cop but I think we've kind of already asked the answer yeah. to that one yeah uh, yeah I I still think it's an honorable profession you know I uh, you know am I glad that uh, Brian got out of police work but. Well, now he's kind of like back in police work. Um, yeah, I think so. He actually, I, I couldn't be more proud of the guy. He was uh, a part-time cop for a small town north of us. Uh, and he actually, <laughs> there was a, it's a riverfront town up, up on the lake, up on Lake Erie. And there was a seafood restaurant up there. And they had a disturbance. The guy was in there drunk. And so there were two of them working. And the first cop gets there and confronts the guy. And then my son Brian gets there and they got to wrestle the guy in the cuffs. And so they, they're bringing him out to the car and he breaks free and he runs off the end of the dock and into 20 feet of water, handcuffed. <laughs> so. So Brian and the other cop jump in after him and rescue him. And now he's trying to drown them. You know, he, he gets that one cuff off and, you know, the fight's on. I, I've never had to fight anybody in water over my head, but fortunately Brian's a pretty good swimmer, but he got the, he got a big life-saving uh, award for that. I was very proud of him. You know, I, I, told, I, I told him, I told him, I says, you know, toward the end of my career, I just might've looked at the guy and said, well, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> you win some, you lose some. I'm not that good of a swimmer. Yeah. I, you know, I, I thought about this question a lot, you know, cause I ask it a lot, you know, if you want your kids mm -hmm. to be cops and, and I've settled on, I, I'm not going to tell my kids what they, what they should and shouldn't do as adults yeah. for their careers. I'm going to do my best to guide them and, and tell right. them my opinions and my, you know, the truth on things, how, yeah. how I feel about things. But I, I think as a parent, you know, with the exception of, of certain professions, you you kind of let your kids, you know, it's their life. I, yeah, I, I really go. never encouraged or discouraged uh, any of the guys growing up. But I, they'd, they'd find their way. I, you know, I just the only thing that that kind of, I guess, would haunt me about it a little bit. It, in this is this is my millennial brain. I'm I'm not mm -hmm. as as strong as you as as letting things <laughs> roll off my back, but. <laughs> God, I hate that I'm a millennial too. That's that's awful. But oh well, I I identify as a Gen X. Yeah. But yeah, we can do anything. I can. I, you know what? We're not going to go down that rabbit hole. But yeah. I, I was going to say that I just hope 
you know, for my kids and really anybody else that gets in the law enforcement, you know, you understand like, yeah, there's some, there's some glory to it, but you, you got to understand that there are some, there are some low lows and you have oh, to be man, willing you're to accept that. And you have to, yeah. uh, I, I think, you know, we want to be open-minded and, and understand that, you know, we're only dealing with 10% of the population, if that, right. and, uh, right. you know, not everybody's like the people that we deal with, but you have to understand that is going to, that's going to weigh on you. And if you, if you oh, think yeah. you can handle it, all right, great, go after it. But I just, I know for me, you know, seeing the, uh, the underbelly of society mm-hmm. and how those people are celebrated, right. it, it, uh, it irks me to say the least. Yeah. I think, uh you know, they're probably the most surprising thing to me uh, as a rookie breaking into the business. I I had no idea that that mental illness was that big of a deal. That there were that many people out there that had bona fide certified mental illness. I mean, that there's a hundred people out there. I, I had no idea that there were that many. Um, the other thing is you deal with death so often and very often it's violent deaths and you have to be able to, again, be able to kind of separate yourself from that, not ignoring it, not, but you're not going to do anyone any good by, you know, getting all wound up yourself, you know, and then you, then you got to debrief and then you got to, you know, you just can't bury it and, and expect it to go away. You know, that, that's part of the job, you know, of, of dealing with stuff that no one else wants to deal with. That is, I mean, and that's, that's a really a perfect way to kind of sum all that up. Mm-hmm. I, you, we're talking a little bit about mental health and since you're, you brought it up, I'm kind of curious. Uh, I think, you know, we're getting to a point where as a cop, you know, you're, it's okay to say, Hey man, I'm, I'm fucked up. That call messed me up. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? You know, that's, I, I'm before, glad you brought like, that up because that, that was kind of a stigma among the old cops, you know, and the old administrators that you just deal with a guy. You got to go see a shrink and then maybe we, this isn't for you. You know, um, that's the old school way of looking at it. Uh, yeah, I would encourage anyone on the job if if you're having trouble sleeping, if if your temper isn't under control all the time, you need to talk to somebody. You need to talk professional, you know. And that's not saying you're nuts, you know. You just need fresh eyes looking at what you're going through. That's all, and ears listening. Yeah, it. Um, and usually I, I, stuff comes in in when it rains or pours, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, I I would almost argue, um, once you've done this job long enough, you are a little bit nuts, you know, and <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Right. That's yeah, okay. Right. That That's, yeah. uh, that's kind of the badge of honor, yeah. you know, that you, that you wear for, you know, I'm not a big thank me for my, my service yeah, guy, but, my... but that's, that's kind of the badge you wear, you know, like, Hey, I, I did this and this is part of me now. Well, and there's a certain amount of job satisfaction knowing that okay, someone's got to do this. Somebody has to deal with this. It might as well be me. You know, this is what I signed up for. You know, it's not all, you know, car chases and, and, you know, saving people. Um, 
you're going to have to deal with with some pretty tragic stuff that you had no part in or maybe you did have a part in but you know that's that's what the job's about nobody said it was going to be easy nobody said it was going to be pretty nobody said everybody could do it you know and there were guys that i worked with that after a year or two said in some much less than that but you know what this just is not for me and good for them you know to recognize that rather than being miserable for 20 or 30 years agreed now to take a 180 mm-hmm. the next question i have for you and mm-hmm. I, i'm on the fence if uh if i'm going to keep this in the podcast i think i'm going to but ever since the uh the podcast i did with the the aliens and you know we've done ghost stories and stuff i try to throw this in a little bit <laughs> right. do you have any you know extraterrestrial or paranormal experiences that you'd like to share uh, with the yeah. listeners yeah we, we, <laughs> yeah there were a couple of occurrences that there is no other way to explain other than something supernatural oh yeah absolutely uh one is a, a guy who keeps showing up. His name is Lenny. Oh no! <laughs> he's, yeah, Not he's me, at a, right. No, he's at a state park though. He haunts the uh, hotel there. Uh, really? And yeah, there was another one during that. We had a blizzard where we had uh, six feet of snow in three days, and pretty much shut everything down. But we were checking on elderly people, and one of the fire departments was going down. It was a dirt road and they were just kind of visually checking to see if there were any signs of life in, in some of the houses around. And they saw somebody kind of waving at them from the window. And so they called us because they didn't want to break into the house, but they thought maybe there might've been a kid there that was trying to signal them. It might've been in trouble because there was no sign of, any other life there you know people hadn't been in and out of the driveway there were no tracks or anything like that so the responding deputy got there and it was a, a woman in fact i worked with her in the bureau uh, she saw the same kid and so they walked up and uh, knocked on the door heard the kid running around in there and thought well this is awful there's no sign of life you know no, nobody's been in or out there might be a parent in there unconscious or dead, you know. So they broke in. There was nobody in there. Hadn't been since before the storm. But all these people saw the kid waving from the window. So that how do you explain that? I don't know. Strange things, man. Strange things. Strange things. There's a, a, a gas station in the area and they were they're telling me about at night. And so I've been trying to go more at night that there mm-hmm. is a, a kid that will knock stuff off the counters but nobody's ever seen the kid <laughs> like and a, it's cat, a ghost. Huh? yeah <laughs> yeah but it's apparently the ghost of the gas station and yeah, it, the, yeah it will knock you know and so i i would i want to see it so bad but because i yeah. want to see it i'm not going to see it kind of thing but you know i was talking to one of the gals working there she's like you know i don't believe in that crap but it scared yeah the i know shit I, out of me. I typically no one's in I'm, the store and yeah. it's just shit's getting knocked over yeah typically i'm not one to to put a whole lot of stock in a lot of stories but you know if you think about it do we understand everything are we that smart no not really no you know there's stuff out there you can't explain balloons for one yeah, <laughs> where are these balloons apparently coming not yeah <laughs> yeah so 
I'm I'm very curious about your answer to this next question. Mm-hmm. Good sir, in your humble opinion, what is the best patrol car of all time? Well, I'll tell you what isn't. And, and I'll tell you what's the best one. In 1981 and 2, uh, you know, there were fuel shortages. There was, uh, it was the, the recession. And they bought Dodge K cars for us. That is the absolute worst patrol vehicle ever imagined. You said a Dodge K car? Yeah. Let me look a that Do- up. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're awful. I'll send you a picture of me standing behind one. They were okay. That dry. looks that looks pretty bad. Oh, it's bad. Oh, yeah. They were gutless. I remember I was going to back up a trooper one time, and I was I was on uh, a major state route. It was actually a U.S. route, and the trooper was probably in a good patrol car, ten minutes from where I was. But in that car, it was twenty minutes. I, in fact, I was going uphill foot to the floor doing 50 miles an hour. And I just shut my lights and siren off. This is ridiculous. You know, people are going to be passing me, but oh, it's awful. The best patrol car. Now you're going to say crown Vic. Uh, my favorite one was the, uh, it was an 88 Chevy Caprice with a 350 and a four barrel. I'm not was... going to be disappointed in that. I, I think the older Chevy Caprices yeah. are very cool cars. I, I will not, I will not. Um, I will not. Yeah, I had a small block in a in a big big. I I couldn't tell you what the CFM was, but it was a big four barrel. And when you romped on it, oh, it sounded better than a, a Crown Vic. I tell you that one. I'll tell you that right now. Well, I don't know if anything sounds better than a Crown Vic. <laughs> well, you know, we had a we had a, a some Crown Vics that were late nineties that. Turned out every one of them was an oil burner. I don't know what was going on. There was don't even know what motor that would have been. Anyway, I, yeah, I, I, I would say the, uh, the the nineties Crown Vicks, meh. But once you yeah. get into you know my opinion, like that, and of course that's what I you know I started with was like the you know yeah. the you know oh six and beyond Crown Vicks or I, I had a I had a eighty three or four Dodge Diplomat too that was I liked a lot. And it just had a 318. No, it had a 360. I heard those were pretty good cop cars, too. They were good. They were a good cop car. And I was a canine officer during that era, too. And the, the back was just a canine bench, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, it was a good car. Now we're to the most important part of the podcast. You know, people, you know, they don't care about your experience. They don't care about all your knowledge. <laughs> right. What they want to know, and I'm, I'm taking a guess. Mm-hmm. Good sir. Have you ever shit your pants as an adult? No. Oh, come on. Nope. Nope. Even with the Metamucil. Nope. I, I was, you said Metamucil. I'm like, oh, this guy shit his pants. There's no nope. doubt. No, no. In fact, quite the opposite. That, that's why I uh, enjoy a, a daily dose of Metamucil. So you, you can stay regular. So you, you, you've got the guts of steel, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you really what, I'll tell you a funny story, though. Here. You know, one of, one of the things that when you're a county officer uh, and, and a lot of the guys that work in rural areas are will appreciate this. Just, you got to go, you know, you've had too much coffee. You got to go. Right. And I'm talking about the uh, number one. And the, the typical 
way to do it is you just pull off a dirt road somewhere and and open the door and stand there. That way the door is kind of shielding you if suddenly a car should appear. Uh, and that's how you do it. Well, Vic, one of the deputies I worked with, did just that and filled the map pocket of his crown Vic. <laughs> yeah. But what's even more amazing is that he told people about it. <laughs> I'm not sure I would have. Unless asked, then it'd be totally honest. Now, I, I don't know why this idea <laughs> came to my mind, but I, I just want to share some knowledge because this is mm -hmm. an educational program. Yes, right. I have found, so if you just happen to piss in your car and, and fill up a section of the car, diapers. My kids make messes all the time. Oh, or yeah. a, a a drink, you know, they'll have a styrofoam cup and they get a hole in it. And so the whole, you know, cup holder is filled with liquid mm -hmm. diapers, people diapers. Yeah. There's absorbent. Great tip. Will, Great tip. I'm just telling you, you know, people may ask questions why you have a couple diapers in your war bag. You never know. That's right. You never know. See, I, here, here's a good story about um, worrying mm -hmm. about things mm -hmm. that will, will not probably not come true. Um, I've thought about, you know, if I go back into law enforcement, it, it will probably be a, uh, it probably would be a sheriff's department or a more rural agency because I'm tired of the city. Mm -hmm. And being as I am, I don't have guts to uh, steal. And if I, if I, took, <laughs> if I took that, I would all the time, I, it would be a mess all the time. And I'm, what am I going to do? You know, if I was a city cop, there's always toilets. You're going to find right. a toilet within five minutes. You're out in the county. Right. What do you do? You know, I, I I would probably go as far as to bring a camping toilet with me. Would probably that's probably, be... that's probably not a bad idea. There are yeah. uh, county parks out there that you know have restrooms. Uh, there aren't a lot of all night gas stations or uh, convenience stores. You know, out in the boonies. So, um, yeah, that's not a bad idea. You have your own uh, porridge on. <laughs> that could be, you know, that's the next thing. I'm going to move on from selling merchandise as far as, you know, shirts and coins and mm -hmm. patches and stuff to poorly made portable police toilets. Well, that's a consideration, you know. I like when, that. When, that has yeah. a ring to it. Yeah. That has a ring to it. Well, good luck. Good luck with that. Yeah, that could. That's my million dollar idea right yeah, there. You guys yeah. heard it here first. Don't 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 steal poo -poo it. it. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. Do you have any words of wisdom for all the, the millions of listeners out there that you would like to share? No. <laughs> you shared it all that, already. It's gone. Yeah, yeah, none that none that we've not uh, covered. Uh, gosh, you know. Um, no. Don't piss in the wind. How about that? That's a good one. That is That's a good, a good one. one. You got to remember that one. Well, Excellent. Joe, thank you for your time. I, uh, hey, Lenny, my pleasure. I like talking to it. I, not to be mean to the to the the younger guys. We've had kind of a string of younger cops on the podcast. Hey, we need. I know cops. at least for me, we do need young cops. I really like hearing what you know, my dad's generation, your generation yeah. of law enforcement, because um, you guys have seen a lot of shit. Like, yeah, we've we've you know we've we've had the Ferguson days and the George mm -hmm. Floyd stuff, but. You know, you guys experienced a lot of the same stuff. Mm -hmm. um, 
maybe to a different level without the internet, but right. it's uh it's good to hear the the past, right? That's that's yeah. how we remember it, right? Yeah. So yep. I uh, I appreciate all the time you took this morning and uh enjoy the rest of your vacation and uh we'll do. In fact, we're uh, going to have to pick up the the wee ones here in about a half an hour. Oh, and, so we're uh, right yeah. on time. Absolutely. Yeah, enjoy well, your uh, enjoy your poorly made podcast and uh I'm a regular listener now, so I'm glad I'll... to hear it. I I I I thought I knew my. Uh, I've actually heard that from a few people that have retired. Is mm-hmm. they like listening to the podcast? I I thought my my listeners were just dumb people my age <laughs> that or younger that ate Tide yep. Pods, but I I guess we right, got right. everybody here. Right, one big happy family. It is. Well, you guys know what to do. If you guys love the podcast, uh, do all the things you guys have done to support me. I, uh, I mean, we're beyond a year now. It's uh, pretty cool. I still get to do this. So keep th- keep that up. Um, tell a friend, tell a family member, take care of the sponsors of the podcast, check out all the cool stuff, and maybe sometime soon a poorly made police toilet. Who knows? With that said, remember, what do I want to do here? I always, I always slip here. I'm getting bad at this. I need to start writing it down. Well, it wouldn't be poorly made if it was well thought out and you know, written down. No, why, why would I do that? Why do I have yeah, here? There's right. my advice today. Okay, write shit down, or you will forget. <laughs> there you go. With that said, remember, I love most of you. Bye bye. <laughs>